Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to break down, for the first time in about a month, a Syracuse victory. The Orange won 49-6 in Durham against Duke, the the team's biggest win over an FBS program since beating Buffalo in 2000. Uh, Steve Stenard, interim defensive coordinator, had, had a great debut. Um, Obviously no touchdowns allowed, just two field goals, three straight turnovers early in the second half, kind of helped SU pull away, including an Andre Sisko pick six. We're obviously going to talk a lot about the defense, Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the offense, and Syracuse at four and six is a bowl maybe looking a little more possible. Um, We'll obviously discuss that a little bit. An exciting time late in a very disappointing year for Syracuse. Before we get into all of that, I need you all to go subscribe to us, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. If you'd like to purchase local advertising, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, Julian, let's jump in. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the defensive adjustments. I talked with Lakeem Williams after the game, Syracuse's middle linebacker, and he said they kind of cut out a lot of extra stuff. They basically ran three coverages, a ton of man, uh, and and in the run game, they took out two-gap reads. Dino Babers described it as kind of not trying to be perfect, which they were doing under Brian Ward, now just letting players have simple assignments, allow them to play aggressively, and hope that enthusiasm and effort fills in maybe the cracks on the field that aren't totally accounted for. Um, you know, what did, what did you kind of see, and, and uh, you know, what do you think that transition was like? What worked with that for Syracuse? Yeah, so on the back end for the secondary – I think the biggest key for them was taking out some of those uh, multi-coverage defenses. And what that means is essentially, and this is kind of some uh, football uh, history here, uh, essentially earlier in in 2010s, uh, Nick Saban defenses uh, decided we're going to start making checks to offensive checks. So when an offense shows one thing, we'll come out in the set defense and then will come back, and if they need their motion or if they give us a certain wide receiver set on one side or the other, we'll start changing our coverage based on what we're given by the offense. And from there, we play it out. And all of a sudden, every a lot of defenses took that on because it was very effective. Unfortunately, uh, it became overdeveloped, and a lot of teams decided we're going to start adding two and three and four different checks to a defensive, to one call, and it became, and it can become very confusing to a lot of players. And we saw that in Syracuse with Tampa too, um, especially um, a few years back in that LSU game where they hung around for a really long time. I think back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this defense was really based on having checks that went to whatever uh, was given to by the offense. I think by taking that out you allowed Syracuse to become a much faster football team because there's so much less thinking. And while it can be very helpful to have those checks and uh, to have those different calls based on what you're getting by the offense as a, as from a strategic standpoint, um, it can weigh down a defense when it becomes overcomplicated and you have too many guys thinking. I think with the amount of talent that Syracuse has, uh, there was so much overthinking on the back end that guys were slowing down um, and even checking out of games once the scoreboard reflected 
uh, <laughs> an unwinnable game, and guys like, you know, I, I don't even want to do this anymore. Uh, so for the, for the that secondary, when they start simplifying calls, only having three calls, I think this game, uh, it became really easy to fly around. Uh, you're you technically you're really only playing. They probably played man cover three and cover four is uh, my expectation. And when you're doing that, it allows your DBs to play much faster. They're playing tighter coverages and they're getting away from those uh, tight zones, uh, so to speak, where you're kind of in a zone coverage, but you're kind of you're manning up with your guy. Uh, in this instance, I think they really got a chance to focus up on what defensive coverages they were using. And it became very effective uh, this week and hopefully for the rest of the season. Uh, a, a contributor to that as well was going away from a two-gap on the defensive line. When you get away from two-gapping and you're forcing defensive linemen to kind of look both ways to see where a running back or whoever is coming and trying to fill your gap, when you switch from that and all of a sudden go to one gap, you take – one, it makes it easier for your defensive lineman to get somewhere. They're all of a sudden clogging a gap. And then, two, because uh, Duke was, I think they lined up with uh, two or three new offensive linemen this week, uh, all of a sudden you can take advantage of younger guys up front, especially with the new center getting in there, and you're shutting down whatever they're trying to do, whether it's run or pass, because you have uh, the much more talented defensive line. Um, and I think that these contributing factors, making it easier in the back end, playing much fast, faster, uh, making it easier on the front end, allowing guys uh, to uh, essentially play faster because they aren't thinking about where they need to go, uh, it made for a defensive performance that really shut Duke down and took advantage of a lot of their weaknesses. It's a great uh, coaching strategy from Coach Babers and that defensive staff. And uh, it's something that they can't keep going forward with because they have so much talent on the back end. And I think this win also helps effort levels as well because if they had lost this game, I think effort would have dropped to BC levels the rest of the year. So uh, the, the way they got this win today and um, the fact that the playbook became much simpler, which I believe in for a secondary, which I believe in for a defense, um, I think it was a fantastic game from them. And I think a lot of guys played really well this week. Yeah, you could see – how happy the guys were after the game. and It's kind of funny because you forget how many talented guys they have on that defense and just makes you wonder, why didn't they do this earlier? Um, right. Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned Duke not having their starting center. Their left tackle went down late in the first quarter. Syracuse had two weeks to prepare and change some of the stuff they did. Uh, we saw Trill Williams playing at field corner for the first time this year. He'd been playing nickelback beforehand. Um, he loves to press, so I, I think we saw some more press from him. We didn't see everyone really, really pressing, um, but I think it's kind of what you're what you're comfortable with is what they preach on the outside, and uh, and that changed things up a little bit. We saw Tyrell Richards at linebacker as one of the backups, and we saw McKinley Williams come back, and I think he was – a big difference maker, especially in combination with those those offensive line issues Duke had. McKinley came on, I think, in the second or maybe late in the first drive as a backup, but he must have played 50 snaps. I mean, he was in there for a lot of the game, maybe more than any other Syracuse interior lineman. And, uh, you know, I think the person – the personnel and putting the guys in the right places and allowing them to play naturally and instinctively, I think it all came together for this great performance. So something I'm kind of wondering, and you know, we'll see if this holds up against Louisville and Wake Forest. Those are both better teams with better lines. But p- part of these last few weeks, Dino Babers has to be thinking, what am I going to do about my defensive coordinator? 
do I want to stick with Steve Stenard and continue this North Dakota State Tampa 2 language defense? Do I want to go out and bring in a buddy, someone I trust? Do I want to try and get a hot name on the market? I, I kind of wonder how he assesses Steve Stenard in the sense that Syracuse is going to lose seven starters this offseason. So can this simple, aggressive game plan work without two of the ACC's best pass rushers and, you know, a corner in Chris Frederick who you trust on an island. Um, Both of your starting linebackers are going to be gone. Evan Foster, strong safety, gone. What do you kind of think, Julian? Like, does does this work? I guess how contingent is this scheme on its personnel? And and with a younger group in there, what risks do you run maybe playing this way? Yeah, so I – I certainly think that having a much more experienced group allowed for um, the changes made this week to be so effective. And when you lose all those guys, it certainly becomes a management question about how do we go about uh, fixing this defense and making sure that it's up to standard in the ACC. Um, If I'm Coach Babers, uh, I'm leaning on what I got from Coach Denard, and I don't, I'm not sure about his background and if he has coordinating experience. He but, does. Um, he does at four, does. four okay. or five stops. Yeah, he's called plays. He's installed defenses before. Excellent. So then your question becomes, do I get more of the same with Coach Denard that I had with Coach Brian Ward? And if that's the case, then I may want to consider a change of defense and what's effective in the ACC. Because I truly, I, I don't believe the Tampa two in a zone scheme works. I think that there's, and when it comes to zone coverages, um, I think quarterbacks are becoming much more advanced. I think offenses are becoming much more advanced. And if you want to be able to catch a Clemson, um, you've got to find a way to play a multiple defense that can uh, start to at least. Uh, go after the quarterback, and I think that the defensive scheme that Clemson runs, while they certainly have great athletes, does a great job of, uh, and has led the way in terms of how to play you know, sufficient defense in the ACC, Florida State as well. Um, teams that can line up and play man, teams that can line up and go after quarterbacks, teams that can uh, use linebackers and, and team speed uh, typically are the better teams in the ACC. They typically have great defense in the ACC. I even throw Pitt in there. Um, so for Coach Favors, I think it's, it's, it's really important that he finds a way. It, it, does he think that Coach Nard's philosophy, whatever it may be, uh, can be effective in the ACC, or does he expect more of what he's seen from Coach Brian Ward? Um, if that's the case, I would look out into the college football landscape and try to find someone who can bring some modern concepts, who can bring um, you know fresh perspective into that defensive uh, locker room and try to help with these guys, especially with so many new guys coming in. You've got to find a way um, to keep teams off the board. Uh, you've got to be able to, in, in the ACC, you've got to be able to get after quarterbacks, and you've got to be able uh, to stay over top. So in this instance, when you've got so many new guys, um, I'm not sure if the comfortability of language um, is necessarily a plus if you've already seen what that scheme is vulnerable to for the last two to three years. So um, if I was Coach Favors, I would look for a change. I would look for a new scheme because I think that the one that's been in place for so long, no matter who's coaching it and who's running it, uh, I don't think it's effective in the ACC. And I would look out into the college football landscape and find uh, 
someone with more modern philosophies to uh, defeat the spread options and the speed in the ACC. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot for Dino to think about, and uh, what goes hand in hand with that is his budget. So you know, only he knows <laughs> that. And uh, you know, John John Wildhack spoke to our Chris Carlson and basically said, you know, they think they can pay competitively, which is something Syracuse athletic directors have always said, but with the understanding that they're not going to go out and spend seven figures on a coordinator and the top right. 15, 20 programs just have a different kind of budget. So, you know, a lot to kind of consider there. And if Dino wants to make other staff changes, he's, he's probably working with a, a certain budget. So uh, this is why they pay him the big bucks, you know. Yes, um, <laughs> got a ton of fan questions, so I want to hit on one more thing before we dive into those. Um, bowl odds, you know, we talked probably – few weeks ago i don't know time it's really hard for me to keep track of time during the season it just seems like one kind of slow dragging out span of like three months but at some point we talked about it and i think i said 20 percent chance and you said zero and mine dropped probably to just off a of zero <laughs> and now i i i think i'm probably back around that 20 percent mark you know i think it's it's doable to go and win at Louisville um, if the defense can play the way it did. You know, it's really hard to tell how much of that was based on Duke. And maybe having two weeks to prepare and kind of some situational variables that don't necessarily carry over. But I do think that group is confident and capable. So, I don't know. I, I still have a lot of concerns about the offense. We're going to get into some of that. Um, during the fan questions, got a lot of offensive questions, so I guess I would peg it at twenty percent. Um, but if you beat if you beat Louisville to come home to the dome, needing a win against Wake Forest, you know, then if, if they get to me, Louisville one is the harder one because it's on the road. Um, and if you put yourself in position, maybe you can you have a better chance against Wake Forest. So I'm going to stick at twenty percent. Uh, how far off of your zero percent have you moved, Julian? Yeah, one percent. One percent, and now, and, I, and before I went from there's no chance at all to I'll give them a chance, but a very very small one, just because I think that the changes here uh, give a little bit of light to Syracuse, both offensively and defensively, uh, that there's some opportunity here to make some plays. Uh, obviously, they put some new things on tape that. Uh, Louisville and Wake will have to adjust to, but Louisville, like they're both good football teams. Louisville's a winning football team. I think six and four, I believe, that's ten games. So um, I'm still on one percent because they still have to play um, decent football teams, and Duke as well. Uh, I think was the perfect storm uh, for Syracuse coming out of the bye week, um, having the opportunity to make changes. Uh, Duke having the offensive line issues. Uh, there were, and then the win uh, from the other day. I think that there was some. Uh, really the perfect storm for Syracuse in terms of getting this win. And even though it looked uh, as good as it did, 49-6, to six, uh, I, I can't quite raise the roof on percentages and bowl chances just because uh, they still have to play some decent football teams and uh, what, 4-6 and six they have to win out. So uh, I, I'm not entirely sure I can pick Syracuse. There's still a season's worth of issues. Um, that weighs down my belief in this team still. Uh, so I, I'm I'm waiting still to to push my percentages up. But they get but if they get the win against Louisville next weekend, um, I may be willing to push it 50-50 uh, against Wake Forest. Yeah, Louisville, a good team, already bowl eligible in year one under Scott Satterfield. They just beat uh, NC State 34-20 last night. 
So we'll see. It's 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 certainly a much more intriguing game than it would have been if Syracuse lost to Duke. Um, all right, tons of fan questions. Everyone's excited. Uh, let's jump in. James Austin, loyal listener, um, always comes with really really good questions and um, you know an informed football mind. So really appreciate his following. Do you think the coaching shakeup caused the OC to open up his playbook? Notice a different approach to the run blocking scheme. Do I think the coaching change caused Mike Lynch to change his playbook? You know, I don't... I think there's a sense of urgency. I think it was more having that second bye week that allowed them to maybe try some different things. Uh, Obviously, they flipped Veterello and Service. I think that helped up front. Um, And and this is something I had kind of gotten rumblings about last week, is moving Tristan Jackson to the slot. And that is something that Duke was not ready for. As you saw by those those two slants early on, especially once you're in the red zone, you can only do so much there. They've they've shown that look before. Um, But but in the open field to have that big gain early. I think that was something they caught Duke by surprise with. A couple of trick plays. We saw that reverse to Taj Harris and then the reverse pass that Tommy DeVito was probably half an inch away from breaking a decent gain on. He just had his back heel out of bounds. Um, So I I don't know if the coaching shakeup in itself did, but I, I think there's clearly a sense of urgency um, and I think having that extra bye week afforded Mike Lynch an opportunity to do that. Uh, this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that. Another question from James. Why does the OC move away from the QB keep on the read, even if it's just to keep the defense honest? Uh, you know, I think they were able to run the ball okay. Uh, I... Uh, and this this is probably better directed toward you, Julian. We were talking about this a little bit before the show. Is Duke made yep. adjustments in game to take away the middle of the field, and if the middle of the field is being occupied, I'm not sure the QB keeper is ideal. What what do you think Duke did to kind of counter that initial chess move, as Dino likes to say? Yeah. So when you got the Q, the QB keeper is almost entirely based off the defensive end or the outside linebacking. If you just start by just positioning certain players there, um, you kind of beat, defeat the uh, QB keep and keep teams from uh, really running it and pulling it with the quarterback, and you force them inside. Uh, there's also the fact that DeVito isn't a rushing quarterback, and his uh, incentive to actually run um, add the quarterback is low as well, which would uh, increase the likelihood of a give. So uh, defensively, I think Duke really, their key was playing guys underneath. That kind of stopped the slant route as well, pulling it and throwing it over the top. Uh, by simply having one, using a two-man or four underneath concept, which is essentially uh, either cover two or cover three, uh, but by keeping players underneath inside of those flats, those um curls and that's like the lower zone where linebackers stand like three to four yards behind the line of scrimmage sometimes six to seven you just keep guys in those underneath windows it stops the slant route as well and in another incentive for the quarterback to keep the ball um, when you do these things of keeping guys near the line of scrimmage on the outside and then uh, as a defense either by playing two-man where your man coverage is more focused on the inside and forcing things to the outside near the sidelines, um, or a zone coverage where you're keeping four and five guys underneath uh, to clog up those passing lanes uh, between five and seven yards, it disincentivizes the quarterback from keeping the ball both to run or to throw, and it then pushes the ball inside to the running back. And that's 
And that's kind of how Duke was able to counter uh, both the slants that were going to Taj and everything and having DeVito keep the ball. It forced them to keep, to keep the ball inside the tackles, and, and more often than not, that ball's going to end up going to the running back then. Well said. Last question from James, and actually ties into another question. James asked, or said it was it was refreshing to see Tyrell Richards play linebacker instead of the hybrid position. Do you think we'll see more of that? Um, so I, I, I think he's still going to do the hybrid stuff, and that's on like third and long situations. He kind of plays the middle of the field. Um, but yeah, he came in uh, at the will spot for Andrew Armstrong for at least one series, and. I think we tie. We think back to how they simplified their defense, and when you have an easier read for someone like Tyrell Richards, who maybe that was something he struggled with, and, and maybe still does, frankly, uh, it's a little bit easier for him to play instinctively. And this is a guy who's I think six four, two twenty five. Like if you get him moving in the right direction, he's an, an absolute playmaker. So um, you know, I think that was a scheme and personnel fit. Uh, do you think we'll see more of that? You know, we'll see. I mean, Lakeem Williams has been really good lately, especially against Duke. So I don't see him coming off. Um, you know, maybe spelling Armstrong here and there. Uh, and then you gotta you you gotta see what they're doing next year, coordinator wise, right? I mean, maybe he does fit as kind of a potential starter. Um, I know they really like Michael Jones, Juan Wallace, a second year guy who's who's shown some things. Um, that linebacker competition is going to be really interesting. And uh, if if somehow you know they do make a bowl those 15 practices are going to be really valuable for a guy like Tyrell Richards uh, Michael Kelly following up on a, on a pretty similar topic what did you notice on the substitutions made throughout the game on defense you know nothing crazy having McKinley Williams back was huge to, to be able to rotate him in with KJ Ruff and Josh Black kind of you took you limited the amount of snaps from inexperienced guys at D-tackle, um, Chris Elmore mixed in, uh, Curtis Harper mixed in a little bit, but you really had you know, one or two guys in the field who you trusted at all times. Like I said, we saw Tyrell Richards come in. That was really it at linebacker. I mean, the, the end rotation was similar. Kingsley Jonathan's good, but he's playing behind Kendall and, and Alton. Um, and then on the back end, uh, we saw Antoine Cordy in the nickel for the majority of the game. I believe Alan Stritchinger got a series, um, and they rotated three corners for most of the game. Chris Frederick, Afatu Malafanu, and Trill Williams. And to me, that was the biggest change, was bumping Trill to the outside. And this actually ties into the next question. Why, why did it seem like Syracuse was playing more man coverage, Chuck Perry? Well, because Trill was playing on the outside. And, and you know, like we kind of touched on, I think there's some flexibility in how those corners play. Um, Chris Frederick plays a little bit more off coverage, but we've seen, and while he's given up some stuff underneath, he got a pick that way against Duke, and he had another one earlier in the year on, on a comeback route. I think if he plays a little closer to the line usually, and then they do mix it up, but Trill loves to press. As his dad commented underneath, that was the first game Trill played pure corner and presses his game. So if Trill's going to be out there, you know they're going to let him do his thing, and obviously that ties into the theme of playing freely and playing simply. Um, and frankly, him and if he probably drop picks that they normally hold on to. So... Um, you know, that was my assessment of kind of defensive personnel and uh, and the emphasis on, pre- on press. Uh, Daryl Albert, do you see any more coaches leaving come season's end? Also, the offense looked better, but play calling wasn't great again. Um, so we've talked about the coaching, coaching staff a little bit. Um, how are you kind of viewing that in the light of these last two games, Julian? You know, if you're Dino... 
Are you still considering kind of wholesale changes? Like, what do you want to see? Um, I mean, the, so we've kind of covered the defense. Maybe I'll just focus on the offensive side of the ball here. You know, what do you want to see from your staff, and um, what direction could could you possibly go if you want to change something up? Uh, well, I'm again uh, similar to the defense. I'm looking for an update and maybe even uh, an advancement of some of the layers that I have already on offense. And what that means is, I think we've seen a lot of these same concepts. And I think that because the tape is out there, uh, teams have been able to adapt to what Syracuse like to do really easily. Uh, I also think personnel changes uh, have caused the change as well. So. One, on the outside, uh, looking at Syracuse's defense, remember how we had uh, Dungy in there and whether it was uh, Ishmael or Jamal or whoever the number one receiver was going to be, uh, it was really, as you see, off coverage, all of a sudden we're going to the stop route, right? Or if they had Irv or um, whoever was in the slot, you would get so many different option routes. It was boom, boom, ball was moving, and the offense just, kind of chugged off of really simple route concepts that way. For whatever reason, it seems like they've either gotten away for it or it's less effective. Maybe that's the product of having an offensive line that doesn't have the time. Uh, Tommy's been off this year. Uh, but if I'm looking for uh, either change their assistance or finding a way to develop in the offseason as an offense, I think that there's uh, a big emphasis on finding new and advanced uh, offensive uh I guess this would be development in terms of routes, uh, in terms of how they try, how they want to organize their passing game and passing strategy. Because I think that there's been uh, a bit of stagnation in terms of uh, how this offense runs, uh, how they want to get the ball to their playmakers on the outside. Um, I think it's been a lot of the same. I think teams have caught up. So when I come to evaluating my assistants and where I want to bring in you guys, I want to consider. What values do I have in each position group? And then as an overall for my offense, what I want to do. And if I feel like there's been too much stagnation um, at a position group or at the offensive, as, the, as an offense as a whole, I'll look to make some changes, and, and whether that's on the outside or not, uh, and then go from there. Uh, but I think, think the big key for Coach Favors and when it comes to his offensive staff is finding where do I think things have been too much of the same, where do I think defenses have caught up to us, and where do I think we need to progress as an offense in the offseason. If I feel like I have a guy who's capable of um, improving and, and working with my guys and I trust his development skills, I'll keep him. But if I feel like I, I need a change there and I feel like we've been too slow uh, offensively at a position group here or there, and whether it's the pass game or the run game, if you want to break it down that way, then I'll go out and look for another guy. But for Coach Favors, it's just a big decision on where has have things been too much of the same and where do I think we can improve and then starting to weigh whether or not the guy on my roster is someone I trust to improve or if he's had enough time and I already know what he can do and I'm going to go to somewhere else. So to run slightly counter to that, uh, we know how much, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, we know how much Dino values loyalty and really everyone who came out of that Baylor family tree under Art Bryles, like they really like to keep it in-house. It is rare to see external assistants hired. Um, yeah. So I kind of wonder if maybe they can pull in someone who, who is from that tree, and the name that makes sense to me is Philip Montgomery. Right now he's the head coach at Tulsa. Uh, has not gone great there. 
Uh, after two good years to start, they went two and ten, three and nine. Now they're three and seven. So if you can bring in maybe another experienced mind within the system who has experience calling plays, uh, he's a co-OC at Houston uh, and then at Baylor. Uh, also, a guy who's worked with quarterbacks a lot. I, I think they really need that on staff. They have they don't really have a great quarterbacks coach. Um, you know, no offense to Kirk Martin, he didn't play quarterback. You know, they had Sean Lewis and Matt Johnson. They don't have someone who's played quarterback on staff. Uh, sorry, Dino, I know you were the emergency quarterback at Hawaii, but that is not the same. <laughs> so, uh, so that's a name to watch. But you know, again, you know, this all goes hand in hand for Dino. He's going to have some tough decisions to make, and uh, you know, we'll see what his spending budget is. It, it really all ties together. Um, another question from Daryl. Offense looked better, but play play calling wasn't great again. Yeah, that's the stagnation that Julian mentioned. I, I, I hear you. Um, I think some of it's personnel issues, and, and maybe if this offensive line can take a step forward, that opens things up a little bit. But uh, I, I understand the frustration, um, especially when the short passing game isn't working and, and the screens aren't going anywhere. And, you know, the inside run game actually did look better. Um, Against Duke, and credit to Mo Neal for a really nice performance, uh, kind of a homecoming for him. Had a bunch of family and friends there. That was neat. Um, but, yeah, it, it, those those things tie together, and, and it's reasonable to have some frustration. Uh, Matty Russo, what are the big injuries, if any, that Louisville and Wake have that could impact games? Great question. As someone who didn't really get to watch much other football this weekend, uh, I have pulled up some lists. Uh, offensive lineman for Louisville, Mecky Becton, uh, he sat out this weekend, and it's unclear if he's going to play against Syracuse. Could be a real key there if you, if you talk about that SU front four and, and being able to cause some pressure and allow you know you to play man coverage. It's a lot easier to play man coverage when you're getting a pass rush. So I think that's someone to watch. I don't believe there are any other kind of week-to-week concerns for Louisville. Quarterback Juwan Pass has been out for the year. Um Wake Forest has a couple of other kind of questionable guys, a running back and an offensive lineman. Sage Surratt, one of their wide receivers, has been out for the season. Another Scotty Washington day-to-day. Um, so we'll see who plays at Duke, or excuse me, against Duke this upcoming weekend, and we'll have a better idea for Wake Forest um, after that. Let's keep sliding down. James Brown, to the naked eye, it appears our defense was attacking instead of reacting. Plus, we mixed up some schemes to the point that Cutcliffe called a timeout. Was this just a case where we just needed to simplify our scheme and let our players play? We saw the talent we knew we had step up. I feel like we've actually pretty much covered that entirely. Yes. That is basic. That is basically what happened. Um so, yeah, nice nice job uh, by Steve Stenard in the defense. Thomas Scuderi, again, why the refusal to throw the ball over the middle of the field? Did so on first two drives and then stopped. Just a conservative approach to avoid interceptions, question mark, appears to make us so limited and easy to defend at times. Julian touched on the defensive adjustments. I will add this. It was really windy, like really, really, really windy, like probably gusts over 20 miles an hour. Duke's punter had a 72-yard punt with the wind, and Sterling Hoffrichter had like a 31-yard punt against it. So uh, I I understand being a little conservative there, especially when you're playing with a lead. Um, You know, I I get it. I, I and maybe Tommy DeVito wasn't perfect, but um, and you can criticize the play calling for being a little conservative, but I do think the conditions played a role. Um, Dino's burner, Dino, jumping back in. 
Thank you. I appreciate you sticking with us. I know we haven't been the nicest uh, for the last month, so appreciate your professionalism. Uh, why do you think they they <laughs> waited until we had six losses to shuffle the line? Did it take the firing of a coach for other coaches to make changes? Interesting. Second question where we think guys on staff see a – you know, the, the idea that one coach being fired motivates other guys. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's not that crazy, human nature to an extent. Um, we've discussed this in the, the past a little bit. I think it's really matchup-based. They consider this before Florida State. Florida State is an NFL nose tackle. That was not the time to put Carlos Federal at center. That's, that was Dino's logic. He, he said that on the record after the game. And then BC's uh, also had a strong interior line for their Defense, all things considered. Um, but, yeah, is it fair to say, oh, why didn't you do this earlier? I, I do think so. Um, w- you know, what do you, what do you kind of think about that, Julian? Is it just kind of one of those things where it's easy to say in retrospect you wish you changed that? But, I mean, would it be that surprising if, if the offensive line had s- struggles again next weekend? Um, yeah, I think that in, in this case, uh, for the offensive line, and it was smart for our coach Davis to mention that. Uh, yeah, it, it was. It wasn't time to make that change. And uh, in this case, it's such a small sample size as well. Uh, in terms of this Duke game and, and going forward, if things are all, all of a sudden just going to change. Uh, but I'm encouraged by the move. I think that it was a smart one. Uh, I think it was needed. And obviously, when you've tried so many different things, I think that this team, this uh, staff, they made a decision, tried to stick with it, and then once they saw it didn't work. Um, they were just kind of waiting for the opportunity to make a change, and obviously the matches that were presented to them didn't kind of didn't really allow that. So um, having the two, the, having the second bye week, and then having a, a favorable matchup uh, in the trenches, allowing them to get make the change, uh, things have started to look better. But because it's such a small sample size, it's hard to say uh, this is the one that they should have made, and uh, this is what they they, they should have stuck with all along. So. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a small, uh, it's a small sample. It's it's encouraging, but in terms of this run, if things are all of a sudden going to improve, um, it, it's really hard to say. But I think guys up front did do a good job, and getting the win certainly helps with confidence as well. So uh, there's certainly potential. But uh, with Louisville and Wake, uh, there's always a chance for things to regress. And I, don't, I mean, I hate to be that guy as well. But, no, you're right. Uh, it, it there is. Um, it's encouraging to see, but because it hasn't been sustained over a long period of time, it's really hard to say that there's uh, much causation and correlation between the change and um, the improvement um, up front. Yeah, I will say you do have to give them basic kudos. Only one sack allowed. Um, I'm not surprised. Against a pretty good, well, I don't know how well Duke's front seven played, but Dino Baber said it's the strength of their team. So to only allow one sack to that group that's, I believe, top 50 in the country in sacks per game, I think they averaged about two and a half going in. Um, Not surprised Aaron Service was good at tackle. I was very impressed by Carlos Vettorello at center. First couple drives, had some high snaps, um, maybe a little jitters, maybe just settling in. Uh, but he was pretty good as the game went on. I mean, there there wasn't a moment, I think, back to where it's like, you know, that really cost him. I mean, I haven't rewatched the game. Maybe they missed a blitz pickup or something here or there. But, I mean, I, I really thought they looked good. And, and having two weeks of prep, I'm sure, helped. Um, I think they hit their assignments better in the run game. Uh, so, yeah, definitely some encouraging stuff there. But I am curious, you know, how do they look? At Louisville and then Wake Forest, certainly. A um, few more questions. John Adair, Taj Harris, it seems like he's not on the same page with Tommy DeVito. 
looks to me like Taj is not running his route correctly. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I can't really tell you if Taj is running his routes right or wrong, but clearly their their timing and their ability to read the field is is they're not on the same page. And uh, ten weeks into the season, that's pretty concerning. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen. Cam Jordan mix in a little bit more, and I'm not here to tell you that I think Cam Jordan's going to light the world on fire, but, like, you know, Tommy and Taj are just not on the same page, and, uh, I mean, Tommy's able to get on the same page with his tight ends and with Tristan and, you know, Sean Riley. They've had, you know, probably some issues, but uh, I, I, yeah, you, we all see this. Um, I don't know exactly what the root of it is. Uh, based on the way Dino has, has talked about Taj, now other people have talked about Taj within the program, it's very clear he's extremely talented. He's been described to me by multiple people as the the most talented wide receiver in the room, but getting him on the same page as Tommy and, and getting the execution right has clearly been a problem. So, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have an easy answer for that. I, I truly don't. Um, Doc Vernald, how much do you think Dino Babers had on the defensive game plan, or did he rely solely on the D coordinator? Yeah, I think it was mostly Stenart. I mean, I, I'm sure he bounced stuff off Dino, but I mean, Dino's got a lot of work to do on offense. You know, that that's it's certainly not the situation where the defense was the only problem. Uh, the defense just didn't have the better excuse. So, um, you know, I don't think I really don't think Dino had much input, but. Um, he's certainly someone who has coached on the defensive side of the ball, and uh, I, I'm sure he had a lot of conversations with Steve Stenard throughout. Martin Ball, people are wondering why it took so long to flip Carlos and Aaron. Just covered that. Um, guessing a drastic change like this had to happen during with a bye week. You know, they got the extra couple weeks of practice, but like I said, they've been tinkering with this for a month, and uh, Carlos was working at center as early as preseason camp, and a bunch of injuries probably got in the way of some of that cross-training. Um, but yeah, this, this is this is not new. This is not something that was just happened over the bye week. Uh, last one from All Orange. Whoever we sacrificed during the bye week, the football gods deemed them a worthy gift. Did we sacrifice Nate? I think I think that's kind of what I remember. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. I mean, good good for him to get some value out of that. Who do we sacrifice now to keep this rolling? This is really a dangerous precedent to set. Um, oh, the second question. <laughs> maybe not anymore. Not really looking forward to answering any more than that. What is going on with Taj Harris and Tommy DeVito? Just can't get on the same page. This has been a season-long issue. Um, I wouldn't recommend sacrificing either one of them because they're so talented. I, we're just about we're just about out of people to give up here. Um, <laughs> if, if you have any suggestions, feel free to call them in. Um, you know, I, I can't I can't throw another media cohort under the bus at this point. I just I simply can't do it. You, do you have any ideas, Julian? Who we should uh, who we should give up this week? You know what? Uh, I'm I'm here to give myself as best I can. To, you know, I'm slightly removed from total media, but still uh, a little bit present in this SU football thing. So I am willing to give myself to hopefully get this team to a bowl game <laughs> if necessary. But I do agree that this is a dangerous precedent to set and a uh, quite unnecessary. I would hope unnecessary tribute to get Syracuse <laughs> where they want to be and uh, into a bowl game. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for all the uh, interesting questions. Glad, um, you know, the Syracuse football community has, has some intrigue here at the end of the year. Um, 
We will obviously be back to preview the Louisville game next week. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to us yet, what are you doing? Um, please go do that now iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. If you want to buy advertising, contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. We will talk to you next time.